Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, I'm Clarence Boone, and welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning radio broadcast in our 17th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. Now this evening, we have the pleasure of speaking with Miss Danielle Bruce. She is a multi-talented artist, director, and producer with Resilience Productions. And along with Danielle, Resilience Productions is comprised of Gladys Devane and bringing on contributor Liz Mitchell. She joins us for a conversation on her life's journey in the arts and her future vision for Resilience Productions. And Danielle, uh, welcome, as always, to Bring It On. Glad to have you. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to be here. I I've uh, I think we first met maybe, oh gosh, has it been almost seven, maybe eight years ago, maybe? Wow, that long is, <laughs> you're right, you're right. <laughs> and, around and, 2016, wasn't it? Yeah, so it's all about six years ago. And, okay, yeah, that's a and, minute though, that's true. And you were working on a production with uh, Liz, Liz has a way of just bringing everybody in to her <laughs> orbit to to showcase some uh, topic or movement right. or challenge or whatever. It does. Um, and uh, our listeners know Liz Mitchell. If you've listened to Bring It On for any length of time, you know that she is the um, uh, the producer of Dark Past, Bright Future. And she has worked in the community on so many different projects involving history and trying to shape the narrative of, of what went on historically as well as looking ahead to the future. And of course, Many of our listeners know uh, Dr. Gladys Devane, uh, who in her own right is a uh, phenomenal thespian. And, mm-hmm. uh, she is not only that, but she's a writer and she's put together productions along with Liz and yourself. So this this uh, trio of ladies has uh, have put together remarkable, memorable productions in the city of Bloomington. And many of them have dealt with people who have faced challenges and have triumphed, as well as sharing history um, that may not be the most popular or comfortable to share because it talks about stark truths that uh, some people may not want to hear or may want to forget. But mm-hmm. you all have chosen to address all that. Uh, uh-huh. But before we get into some of your, uh, your productions and some of your uh, notable contributions to the city of Bloomington and Indiana, uh, <laughs> where did this all start for you? As a little girl, did you dress up and... and uh, your your parents, your mother's clothing or something and say, I'm going to be an actress. I'm going to be this, that, and the other. But how did it sort of start with Well, it? you're on to something, Clarence. I'll say that. I will say I did. I did that and then some because my parents were in the theater. So and my um, they had two theaters when I was growing up in Coronado um, in California and then in San Diego proper. And uh, I really only knew that life until probably 1987. I was born in 74. So it was um, it was pretty magical world, and but I was completely immersed in it. It was you know my when you say that I dressed up in my mom's clothes, she happened to be a costume designer, so yes, <laughs> and but it was the best kind of dressing up in clothes you could ever imagine. You know, I would come home from school, and then she had a wonderful workshop and a desk, like a big work table, and I could get under it, and there would be gypsy clothes, and there would be fantastic, you know, like harem pants, and I could wrap my. I mean, 
I had a scarf that was yellow. I was blonde for two years. My mom said, we're not going to wear that to the supermarket anymore because I was just so connected to the things that I'd find and then props. <laughs> and, and so the whole, every minute of my day that wasn't regimented by school or whatever was really kind of magically creating another world anyway. Uh-huh. So I have to say that I kind of come by it honestly in that regard. And you learn, I think, through osmosis more than even technically or, or formally trained in that way. You know, that it was just the world you were in. And so you kind of the filter becomes for the rest of your life, even if you're not doing theater, at least it was for me. How do I do this like theater? You know what I mean? And so I see everything in the most positive way to say this as a production, you know, and I've done events for a long time. And that is also theater in its own right. You know, it's just not traditionally so, you know, but it's still a production. And so I think that that world informed everything I did after it, you know. Uh, tell me, were, were your parents part of a, a company of uh, performers, or did they have their own? Uh, they they did. Company? They they were both equity actors, but they, in addition to that, had the Coronado Playhouse and then the um, Old Town Opera House, and they were just they were two theaters. And at the time in in San Diego, this was the late seventies, early eighties. There, there wasn't the same kind of touring, Broadway touring shows that would come in and invade the space and take over. There were actual playhouses that would work on, you know shows that now we do tour but these guys were working on them in terms of being kind of the first people to do some of these shows working with playwrights like people like Terrence McNally or Craig Knoll these were people that were very close to my parents and so cultivating this at the time I guess I take it for granted because it was right around me but to look back on it and look at theater history it was significant that these people were kind of creeping and finding their own playhouse their own venue and doing this work and so yeah, that's that's kind of how that that wound up happening. And in an interesting, my sister and I were just talking about this the other day in a wonderfully strange way, you know. <laughs> well, well, you mentioned your sister. I was going to ask, uh, were their siblings uh, likewise involved in the arts as as, as you are? My sister. <laughs> okay. But she she and I are nine years apart. And what's interesting and, and ironic, actually, is that our father passed away when she was four, hmm. and I was thirteen. And and we moved to Indiana, where he's from, actually. And we didn't, there was, our mom was in theater, of course, as well, but was also um, a theater historian in addition. So she had a much more academic leaning in theater, more so than when she was, my mom and dad had the theater together. And so, um, and my sister's very much like our mom, but our mom passed away when she was 16. And so she actually, it's a great argument for nurture nature, because it makes all kinds of sense that it would be in my life because it was around me. But Nicole is purely, it is there from nature. You know, she didn't have them for the same amount of time. She certainly had me, but I'm, that's kind of the diluted version of them in that regard. And you can see when it's in somebody's genes, it's in somebody's genes. It's that simple. You know what I mean? And I think that that she's the best argument I've ever seen for that. And um, yeah. But we both do theater now, which is great. But um, didn't she was so young? Didn't do it when they were alive. She didn't anyway. You know. Right. <laughs> now, have you two teamed up to put on productions, you and your sister? Yeah, yeah. I will say though, what's interesting is that working in resilience, being a part of resilience, um, she's our go-to girl. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, I mean, okay. and we have to pay for it. Don't get me wrong. I mean, she's quality <laughs> work. It's not like it's a bargain by any means. But boy, she's worth every penny. I mean, she's the best. She's the best production designer I've ever worked with, hands down, and and certainly the best prop mistress I've ever ever worked with. She can create anything. I'll tell you, if you ever need food, ever need food that's not real, okay. she's, that's who you need to go to. You know? Food that's not real. And uh, Liz, I shared a story uh, a couple of weeks ago how that you, you were putting on a, a play, and it called for having realistic soul food. Mm-hmm. And your sister designed some of the uh, the the not so all real it. food, all the all, all the, the not so real food. And there were like eleven different dishes on that table. 
And, you know, I said, where did you do? How did you get this green bean casserole? She said, I went to Kleindorfer's and I got this tubing. And she said, and then I got, you know, um, strange bake, not, they weren't bacon bits. They were dog treats that were very old that she found. Yeah. And she said, I put that on the top. <laughs> and then I got, said she used uh, craft paper for the other part, for the onion. I was, we just sat there blown away. Thought, how do you, where her mind goes to create these things was the best yeah, part to hear yeah. how she finds things of them. Yeah, they were wow. great though. People wanted to eat them. We had to say, no, 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 that's not real. <laughs> <laughs> no bigger compliment, I guess. Well, 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 tell me, um, going back now when your, your parents in, in the heyday, when they were uh, performing with, with individuals who, as you said, were sort of in and out of uh, their orbit and, and acting, who are some of the famous recognizable folks you remember? I'll tell you that my parents both worked at, in, their, in their own right separately before they were married with people across the country. My mom was in Sarasota with um, Polly Holiday, that was a big, uh, and the same company with Polly Holiday who we know to be Flo, Kiss My Grits, that one, who was actually a great, brilliantly trained Shakespearean actor. And my dad was dear friends with Jonathan Winters and Del Mar at the same time, which is really an awesome, awesome legacy, you know, and worked with Adam West for quite a while. There's some strange pictures of our dad as a grandmother next to Adam West. Don't I don't know the whole story, so I can't tell you why. <laughs> but um, worked with a lot of people, though, and, and I think it's more because they, they worked in different capacities other than just acting. Our, sure. our dad was a director and a designer, pretty extraordinary designer, and our mom, again, was a designer as well, as well as an actor. And he did sound design. He did lighting design. I mean, you know, and that's theater on a shoestring when you have a very small playhouse. You have to do a lot of the things. They just happen to do a lot of the things really, really well. So sure. people wanted to work with them in many capacities. So they got to meet a lot of fun people, I think. Well, you talk about Flo to Jonathan Winters to Adam West. Now, all three I remember uh, growing up, especially your your father was no stranger to laughter if you work with Jonathan Winters. Oh, uh, no, no. That that's was a true. prerequisite. Um, <laughs> And of course, when I saw him on Carol Burnett, you know, that was a delight, uh, uh, Tim Conway and the whole, the whole oh, team. Yes. And then uh, Adam West, you know, if I say Batman, the, yeah, you better the, believe uh, it. Yeah. Uh, you know, he and, uh, and well, Bruce, um, Bruce Wayne, of course, was uh, uh, Batman. But then Robin, I'm trying to remember his, his actual oh, name. Um, but I, I knew it was Adam West. <laughs> That's right. We used to race home from school. And of course, you know, he had us they had a pretty long uh tenure in that series but uh wow what a what a what a treat okay um so you you come to bloomington and and now was was there any um academic training or preparation that you went through uh, you know i'll that? tell you something very funny you say that um our mom no i didn't study theater i've never taken a formal theater class in my life actually mm -hmm. um i'll say it right there tell you i'll tell you that i never have it. it's so funny when people hear that because they can't quite compute it because you think the only way you can learn it is, well, and that is certainly not, it's one field I have to say that I would argue you don't have to be trained in it whatsoever. You, okay. you just have to be understood to listen and understand people. That's very helpful. But theater is the one discipline, one realm that does not discriminate. No matter what you know how to do, theater can find a way to use it because its objective is to replicate reality, to, to mirror reality. So as long as there's some recognition of reality, people mainly is the thing because everything else can be kind of distorted then you've got, you can, theater can happen. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you, mm -hmm. I'm not talking about the technical side of meeting an audience and a performer. I just mean the content. Right. And so I don't know if you have to be trained. It's helpful for some people, certainly. But I think in a, the people I were exposed to, I was exposed to as a kid and growing up, I, I think I got some of that not knowing, not just not in a classroom where I paid a lot of money. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> Makes sense. I have, Makes you know, sense. a different degree altogether. But again, I can still use it in theater, which is kind of nice. Well, you said earlier that if it's in your genes, it's in your genes. Well, that's also true. Yes, and I think so. <laughs> some things can't be taught. You, you have to have that sort of innate uh, ability to, to just 
project yourself perhaps in a different persona and um, or be able to tell a story. Let me ask you of your of these three particular uh, styles of performance. Do you like dramas, comedy, or historical storytelling? I'll tell you what. I really love. I love historical storytelling. I love the whole idea of. I know that we still fall into the realm of fiction because what we're responsible for, the impetus for writing the story or creating the story is is the historical truth but and an event or a person. But ultimately, by the time it gets to the stage, weaving it together to have a story to tell, there's enough of it there that may not have it may not be accurate or, or verifiable. So we, we still have to call ourselves fiction. But um, but I do love with the responsibility and opportunity to work with historical information and the content. I think it's so much more exciting. And necessary right as as sort of one who brings candid truth uh, unvarnished truth uh, to the minds of the um, audience or one who the ultimate aim is to help create a new future or to to, to learn life's lessons from what you're bringing so that mm-hmm. the future is brighter than what it was absolutely i think that's a great way to put it actually i think that we just hope we can engage people and an audience i don't care what their age is they don't even have to be the next generation We're, i'm looking at people of all ages in this audience that are engaged and so they're interested enough to listen differently they're listening differently and they're kind of synthesizing things in their mind and, and the key i think for us is that we've taken this material and, and why does it even matter to talk about it today the relevance of it has to be has to be clear you know and why are we talking about it and how is it affecting us and how is it affecting tomorrow and you know we have to trust our audience we'll leave it to the audience to figure that out for themselves but i think that the best news is that people are interested enough in learning it and it's amazing to me how much is unknown i'm re- it's really kind of it's very tragic how much is unknown and brand new information to most people and so we have in that regard though we have a very willing audience they want to know and they want to learn and so at least here in bloomington and and in some surrounding towns in indiana we've been very fortunate to not to have to not have to fight that you know where you don't always get that bloomington's been real receptive of resilience productions um uh, they have come out in droves to see many of your your different uh, projects and um and that leads to my next question how do you know when you're connecting with your audience it's one thing you have to market on the front end to mm-hmm. pique that curiosity to get them in the seats mm-hmm. um in, in significant numbers and but how do you know when you when you when you're connecting I mean you you have the vantage point of the productions going on and you're sort of behind the, the stage or behind yeah. the curtain looking out oh yeah and when can you tell when you're really connecting with that audience I'll tell you this I, I think that my experience has been in terms of working with resilience specifically I mean in my life I think this would support it too but resilience specifically um, doing historical pieces where we've had Liz narrate and then Gladys will perform and they'll hand off. And there is a texture there that I do know one thing. I, I was a teacher, an art teacher. And after leaving teaching art, I, I recognize it very similarly to my students. Our attention is an, our attention span as an audience in general in our culture is so different than it used to be because there's so many distractions and things competing with those actors and, and everything going on that they can swipe or turn or beep or blink or you name it. There's some sort of gadget that is more interesting than what you're doing on stage. And so everything has to matter. Everything has to mean something. In other words, there's to be words spoken with intent at all times because, and, and choices have to be made that are engaging and worth it because if we were meander around the stage and out of focus, are you kidding me? Audiences, even if they want to be there, we'll just they'll, they'll space out, you'll lose them. And I think that that's been the biggest thing is that understanding the audience of today, the culture that is now our audience members, 
And I think that's how to, I can't ensure ever that the audience is getting it and where they're with it and they've captivated them. But I do watch the audience during performances the whole time as much as once, because it's once it's Gladys and Liz's, it's theirs. I can't do a thing. Right, and so we, right. you know, so I watch the audience react to them and take note of it at every performance and see where we can tighten things up and what else needs to happen and where we lose people and maybe, or we, where we really gain them, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a big deal to me because yeah, there's a lot competing with us right now. How are we going to keep your attention for an hour? You know what I mean? When there's 800 things on Netflix, you could, you'd rather be watching, right. oh, you yeah. know? Oh, yeah. So it's like, we better matter. What we are doing better matter and what we're saying better matter. And so, yeah. And I, I don't think it hurts that we have incredible research with Liz and, and fantastic writing and performing with both Liz and Gladys and also worked with some really remarkable people and collaborated with some remarkable people to really bring some of these stories to life. Incredible actors, some brand new to theater, some trend totally seasoned, you know, and it's been a, a really good mixture, but there's a lot of texture, I think, in these shows that just not as easy as just telling a traditional story anymore. We want to keep moving, keep things moving and maybe stay just a step ahead, hopefully. Okay. Well, I want to ask you to do something that may be a little difficult, but you've done this enough now where how can you profile an audience? What are the demographics of, of, <laughs> of, the, of your audience? And, and I know at this point you have a following, I would assume. Uh, once people hear that, oh, Resilient, Resilience is doing another production, I want to be there. But if you, can you profile your audience, Ooh. a typical audience member? You know, I, I'm reluctant to because I've found that in a in the Bloomington traditional Bloomington context of the, the stage in the theater, um, that audience may you know, I may be able to tell you a little bit more about them. But we've now done shows in prisons, <laughs> we've done shows in um, or in correctional facilities, we've done shows outside of your traditional venue, we've worked in so many different spaces. I can't so I can't really say. I know that we have. I, I'm grateful that we have a pretty huge range age range. That's for sure, okay. and. Um, what about a socioeconomic uh, profile? Mm. Are, um, are are they more Caucasian or are they uh, of, of a mixed? Um, it's a fair mix. It's a fair mix. I will say that it's just this is just a numbers game in this that regard. Where I think that Caucasians outnumber African Americans in Bloomington, anyhow. That's true. So you do have. I'm not sure what the ratio is, but so you're getting a pretty. But I think you're getting a pretty honest sampling of of okay a lot of a lot. I mean, both men and women, age wise, yeah. as well as socioeconomically. Okay, and yeah. the backgrounds uh, that, that you can perceive that some may have lived uh, lives uh, that are not common, that are not uh, similar, yes. uh, which is True. which is always interesting because then they may come in with a different set of lenses than the person sitting next to them, but everybody's impacted. By yeah, and you know, we usually find this out at the talkback. That's when more than just, I mean, I do watch the audience, but at the same time, the talkback's really telling, and we're very, very lucky to usually have people stay. I'd say 80% of the audience that was there for the show will stay for the talkback now. And that's kind of unheard of. So we are just thrilled to see that, you know, but it also does slightly become, an, you know, part B of the performance. <laughs> so, you well, know, we got to keep the energy up. Well, th that has to be a sign in and of itself that if you have 80% of folks hanging around, that means either they're clamoring for more or they were moved or it, something resonated with them that, you know, their, their takeaways, you want to hear about, you know, how, was, how effective was I in achieving what I wanted to get across to you? It has it touched you, has it changed you, challenged you? Um, do you find it utterly ridiculous or how dare you even <laughs> try to sell me this bill of goods or whatever, right. but right. you're going to hear it all. 
Okay, well, well, you know, speaking of uh, Liz and uh, Gladys directing these two personas, oh, we could do a story. Let's do an hour on that right there. <laughs> we could need at least an hour. Yeah, uh, uh, two, two, may I say, strong-willed individuals. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, you can. Uh, with a vision of what they view as uh, success, what that means. But do you give them license? Uh, you're, you're, a, um, you're a script writer as well. Well, I'm a dramaturg, actually. I, I okay. leave the script writing to Gladys. I mean, I'll, I'll do some dabbling in editing, and I've, and I've written some, some scenes here and there in the shows, but they were more to tidy up just because I get the luxury of working with the playwrights. Most directors don't, so I take advantage of it. I say, okay. hey, can we change things and do this? And <laughs> okay, because that was leading in my, to my next question. As, as actors uh, or actresses or what, what have you, do they have the license to interpret um, what they're going to share with the audience, or does it have to be line upon line? You just stick strictly with the script or do they have oh, latitude you know, I, and li license to do whatever great question i will say this i think because because we're in such a unique situation where we have access to the playwright right there mm -hmm. you know if if and then we have access even pre-playwright if we're working and talking to liz about what she's collecting and how she's going about finding this and we'll sit down and have pre-production meetings for months leading up to anything that goes on the page and then we'll say so that everybody's on the same page when it gets so we write it so we don't have to write it five six times that becomes a kind of thing where if it, we can just do kind of a a map emotionally about where the trajectory is of the show and then talk to each other about it, it it's helpful that way we're not just sitting there writing and writing and rewriting a lot and i mean initially as we were getting to know one another it was much more that way but now there's such a shorthand we can you know, we know what Liz is going to go out and try to pursue. We know, I know how Gladys is going to operate to write it. It's going to come to me. We're going to talk a little bit dramaturgically about it. Then we all sit back down together. We'll, we'll gather our actors on an early stage and do, usually at my house or Gladys's, a read-through quickly of what we've got so far, see how it's actually reading, what rhythms it has, and if it even makes sense, you know. And then, and then at that point, it's like, okay, let's move into a different kind of stage of, of drafting. And, and now, now Gladys will tell it differently, where she'll go, I'm going to tell you right now, you have made me print how many scripts when I thought it was the last script I'll ever print, you know, and, <laughs> and that is true. And that is true. So I'll give her that. But that's also just me. You know, I was like, this right. could go this way and right. shift, you know, but directors usually don't get, they don't have access to anybody right. who's done the research or anybody who's writing because maybe that's just not the context. So I do take advantage of it for sure. I really want to know everything I can. If, if you've just joined us here on Bring It On, we're having a delightful conversation with Daniel Bruce, who is part of the creative team of Resilience Productions. Uh, she's joining us to share wonderful insights into her life's journey in the arts and her future vision for Resilience Productions. Uh, you mentioned something interesting uh, earlier, but, but before I go there, I want to ask you this. What, what has been your most difficult and your most rewarding production topic that you've ever had to work with? What's been the most well, difficult that you've labored the most with hmm. to bring to an audience? And then what's been the most rewarding and fulfilling? Well, I, you know, they might be the same one in some regard. Uh, we did a piece um, in 2019, actually, that we were very, very fortunate to squeeze into. It wasn't in the Waldron season, but I can never, ever thank Paul Daly enough for offering us the time slot that would normally be a changeover for him to get regrouped for his next show. And um, Gladys had been unwell before that and, and was well enough to work with us to get this show on its feet in terms of she was acting. And we worked with Glenda and Bill Breeden and an um, uh, inmate at the correctional facility in Pendleton and in his work. And it was about, well, it was about mass incarceration and about the relationship when somebody's on the outside versus somebody on the inside for a life sentence and how that 
and that no one is one thing. And then, of course, we talked about the death penalty, some of the heaviest topics you could possibly talk about in a show that was all the, the work was both Philip, the, um, the inmate and Glenda's writing, whether it was a poetry or just prose and writing it was all their work. And um, and then some from the writing circle from women at the jail. So it was a really interesting outreach of, of in content. And, and it came back together. And I was I, when Glenda contacted Gladys about possibly working together, she sent I was in St. Croix with Gladys when she did. And, and she sent a few poems and well, at first a few. And then there were 30 late, like 30 poems later. I said, oh, my gosh, she said, Gladys, there's a show here. I said, a real show, not just like something that we sit in for five minutes and talk about. I said, this is really very important. We need to do this show. We need to find a way to put this together and work with Dan Lodge Regal, who was magnificent and brilliant. And as was Glenda and Bill, it was great. It was a great, and the actors in that show, it was a very limited acting troupe that did everything. And it was a great show and it was very bare stage and um, very honest, hard, hard material to do. You know, it was only 48 minutes long because it was hard to talk, I mean, that kind of, that content, any more people, I don't know, I'm always care careful that we've got to figure out how does the audience pull themselves back up from some of that heart-wrenching material. You know, Gladys playing the mother of the son who's just going to be executed in front of her, you know, on the other side of the glass. And we just see the mother's monologue. And it was the kind of the apex of the show. And it was, <laughs> you can only imagine, remarkable. But there wasn't a dry eye. I'm talking through the rest of the show, dry eye. You know, it was, it was pretty outstanding, but hard to do, hard to rehearse that kind of material. And so it was a grueling process, but without a doubt, so rewarding, so necessary and rewarding. And you could feel it. You could feel it palpably with that audience. And it was that was very exciting. You know, they were so, I think, not sure what they were coming in to see. <laughs> and then leaving going, I have to think about what I feel about some of this stuff. And I know I did as a director. No one ever had put my feet to the fire about what do you feel about the death penalty? Well, you can't really direct a show like that. I suppose you could. I'm not sure how successful you'd be if you don't have a perspective on how you feel. And so by the end of that, run of that show because Bill and Glenda Breeden, I mean, they put their money where their mouth is. They're truly remarkable activists. And I was so amazing to be influenced and experience that with them. And so by the end of that run, I, I did have an opinion. I had more than an opinion. I'd really shaped me. And I'm not sure a show had ever done that quite so quickly and so successfully. And so, yeah, that was an amazing experience for me. Well, and for our listening audience, um, uh, Danielle is referring to sentences from the pen to the page and this was sort of described as a compelling piece of original theater, radically existential through <laughs> spoken word, story, and song. And the production examined the value of life, the penalty of death, and a hope for humanity by dealing with the effects of life and death sentences on those serving them, as well as their relationships to the people outside. And it went on to say that sentences from the pen to the page feature the writings of Glenda Breeden with contributions from Philip Stroud at Pendleton Correctional Facility and the writing group at the Women's Block of Monroe County Jail. So this production incorporated um, uh, the talents of those who were serving time. Well, yes, certainly as, as the writing, as the, from the writing perspective went, yes, it was. And then the wow. actors who worked on it, you know, never actually other than Philip and Glenda knowing one another, but Gladys and Liz and I had met Philip at that point too, when we had performed other pieces at Pendleton, thanks to Philip actually, getting it coordinated. But most of the other actors didn't, they had no, at one point, Somebody said to me, is this a real person? And I was like, yeah, then, yes, yeah. yes. I said, you know, that's what we we're saying about it all originating in history or really an event and a real person. And then winding up landing on the stage, having to be tinged in fiction because it just simply cannot. It's, we're not doing ethnodrama or docudrama. That's not really what we're responsible for. So, 
you know, and honestly, too, telling a story to make it compact is, is and keep keep the pace, keep the energy. Some of those other things that really are necessary for today's audience. You know, we have to do some some moving and shifting around. And the audience, I mean, the actors were really um, amazing as, as a unit, you know, in that whole piece. And, and, and you have asked them to share their life, their feelings, uh, open up to let individuals know what it's like and what it's like for you, your family, uh, for them to go through that journey with you. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned you've done performances at prisons and correctional facilities. Was, was it this particular work, this project that was uh, performed at various uh, correctional facilities? No, actually, that's the interesting thing. This one never has been. Uh, we hope to do this, though. It would be interesting to do it. it what's, I think, tricky about that is that uh, Philip is at Pendleton, and he's an extremely... Uh, honest writer with tremendous candor and insight and that that can be good and bad when you're an inmate yeah. talking about your experience in that very facility yeah. so the last thing we wanted to do was jeopardize any of that sure. so we, absolutely we, we may we will see if we can find a way to get it to the right people at the right time but it might not be that facility i, I doubt it would be actually so you know but it would be i think really it would resonate i mean the pieces we've done and liz will say this and i think gladys will too the most rewarding audiences you could ever have and certainly they are grateful for the break and the experience but it was more than that the listening the engagement afterward the, the just the intellect and energy of that audience at the at pendleton was wow it was amazing i've never experienced anything like it i've um had the pleasure of sitting through um several productions for that resilience has put on and and a lot of them have all of them all of them that i've experienced have been educational uh, they, they've taken an historical look at someone's life and either they've championed something or in one case they won their freedom um, right. um, and in, in some cases you know it was a depiction of some horrors that they went through and it, it took the audience and, and took them there you know mm-hmm. and, and as i use the phrase you've gone there on some of these topics and the audience went willingly and they had their eyes open with, with eyes both eyes open they walked into the lives and the shoes of someone else who suffered Right. And, and, and that's something. Um, well, as I look at Resilience Productions, it, this is something that I, I guess just created itself. Um, you know, three ladies with just maybe different outlooks and views, but we formed a fast friendship and a team. Um, and at this point, I will say a lifelong team. Uh, you all are truly sisters. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're almost inseparable. But, uh, you know, you've come together and you've now allowed your passions for the arts to just meld into this driving force, Resilience Productions, and you've been able to take your work, not just even in Bloomington, but you've gone to Indianapolis. What other places, wherever, what other places have you traveled to to take your work? You know, what's so funny, you say that I, it's so interesting because of COVID. Well, Liz was fantastic with this because she was on the hunt to find venues and get these stories out there. Uh, We had bookings in Corridon. She'd be better one to ask about this because I'm not sure, but I know we had to cancel about four of them due to COVID. And since COVID, uh, theaters and venues haven't bounced back in the same exact way, especially given what we do, which was it's still pretty niche, you know? And so we are working on that. And I, I have no doubt in my mind that Liz will find us and connect us to the right people for that to happen still. And so, um, yes, but that, so we've really done Indianapolis and, um, and Bloomington, but that, and I think rather than repeating what we are doing, kind of tried to keep branching out with the stories. And so that that had, a, I think, also was the angle we were going with. Although we've talked recently about 
submitting work to different fringe festivals, you know, and working and re-editing things because that's got an incredible audience that circulates through, particularly Indianapolis's. And these stories, I think, presented in a way that maybe wasn't their first intent, but our intent with them, but they now can have another life in a different, you know, I just served on the board of Onyx Fest for the last few years up in Indianapolis and loved working with these playwrights, working with these actors, getting these stories out. And although what we do is maybe not suited for Onyx Fest, I think there's a good pairing and kind of kinship, though, in that same kind of festival work and certainly with Indie Fringe. So I hope we can maybe see that through. Well, it, I think working with Onyx Fest and you, of course, work with our good friend Vernon Williams on, yes. on a lot of different collaborations. And we've had him on on Bring It On to talk about his projects. Uh, yeah, I mean, there, there are some commonalities. There are opportunities to to join forces to get the message out there, especially when you look at Indianapolis, which for African-Americans has had a lot of historical firsts. Oh, yeah. Uh, that you've been able to uh, both um, bring to life and to maybe uh, draw comparisons to or maybe some shock. Mm hmm true life stories um, yeah that's and, right and it's part of it you know it's part of it um now the future resilience productions do you see involving more community actors young budding actors and actresses <laughs> with this um or do you see an opportunity you have daughters Clarence? <laughs> i have <laughs> I, yes i have two little thespians here that's uh, right i was hoping you'd say that put them uh, in the union <laughs> that's right <laughs> um what's interesting about that is we just worked with um we just uh, worked with a, an incredible playwright named McKenna Dilworth, who was the director of one of Vernon's pieces this last year, Rise okay. of Progress, up at the Madam Walker. And um, I worked with her. I was the production manager for her for that show, and we worked together closely and stayed in touch and became good friends. And she's a very gifted playwright, and um, she's adapting Antigone, mm -hmm. and has talked to and talked to me a little bit about that. And I pitched it to Gladys and Liz, and it actually sparked the whole idea of, you know, Resilience is working wonderfully on their own projects, certainly, but there's a lot of opportunity for playwrights to work with us and we can get work produced with them for them, you know, and become a, an advocate for playwrights that also have stories to tell, presently stories to tell. It doesn't always have to be historical. And we were, and we, I think we're really inspired by what she's doing with Antigone. And hopefully, hopefully I can say this, that you will see that piece in Bloomington, on a stage in Bloomington, within certainly within the next year. And okay. that would be Resilience doing it. Um, can you share with us a little bit of the background of Antigone? What, what, what sure, can we uh, expect to see? Well, ooh, that I can't that I can't answer. In okay. fact, she right. said to me last night, I'm sending you the final copy of the script today. And we know what I feel about final copy of the script. No one yep. ever said that, never the truth. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> that is the last of your very famous final words, but no, no, no. So I, would, I don't know if I should answer that for McKenna because of in, in its it, origin story is it drama field is it uh yes it is sort of it a is. Life, life story of someone or well right well it's it is greek you oh, know it's okay greek. okay and so um the um oh my gosh am i losing I'm, it's so obvious is it socrates is it socrates? Is it socrates i think i might be right there oh I'm just my mind went blank but the story she's setting it, it at the time of the insurrection hmm. that they were um and they were war heroes. The brothers were war heroes. And she was the sister. And their father was Creon, who was a tyrant king. Okay. And um, and so there's a lot of parallels at work. Yeah. yeah. Frighteningly <laughs> so. And so I'll let your mind go from there. And you can, sure, and you can sure. imagine without giving anything else away. I, I have all the faith in the world that she will bring this in the most polite, <laughs> controversial way possible. That, you know, you're going to have a rallying cry at some point, whether it be the right. audience or the actors. Right. You know. And, and that's the beauty of art. Um, you know, art. Uh, oftentimes, as they say, uh, imitates life. Uh, oh, yeah. And frighteningly if, so sometimes. Yeah. Know, if, 
at the last year or five years, and and I and I don't and you know I, I want to go without mentioning names, but boy, I tell <laughs> you, if there's not enough content to draw upon, then something's wrong. But right, uh, then someone's been in a coma for five years. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, and and you look at you look at um. Uh, nighttime uh, comics that come on after the news. I mean, what are they doing? They're just they're doing satire on on life, on headlines. They're doing oh, you like, better yeah. There are laugh so we don't cry, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's sad, but it, but then again, it's how we cope. That's and exactly it. Thank God going, we have them. And going through COVID, we had to find those ways to cope. And, right. Yes. Um, you it, have COVID on top of a pandemic on top of already what's going on politically. Like that's a punch, and that's a two part punch what do you call that like a one two yeah one two yes ma'am it is it is and so yeah well, well you began to kind of tease me about my two little thespians they're not <laughs> under contract yet but uh if you're speaking towards the youth focus um and youth are going through a whole lot i mean yeah they are i think back on the things that i went through growing up um it may pale in comparison to some of the experiences that they're having now having to grow up way too soon oh learning about thing, things way too soon um yeah. Do you think uh, resilience may draw upon their experiences to bring something to uh, uh, the, the viewers? That's a wonderful idea. It's a great idea. In fact, um, if, if we hadn't thought about it, now that you've put it out in the ether uh, or right directly to me, okay. <laughs> I'm going to take it right. right back to bring it to Gladys and Liz. I think because everybody's story has value. That's the yes, biggest that thing. that is true. Yes. And, but I will say, though, that that's a perspective that we don't actually look into and say, "Can this make? is this stage worthy? But, you know, there's such there's so little... There's so much expected of that's this generation and it and they have such a disconnect from the physical disconnect from each other, which is so important in understanding one another. And if bad things happen, healing, you know what I mean? Like there's such there's need to there's a need to do that. I think for the human being that's missing in this whole generation right. that no Android phone or iPhone is going to ever give you. No right. app is ever going to give you. Right. I don't care. I mean, and if it does give you, then you're a robot. I'm sorry to say. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. And that's the thing. And I think there's stories that have to be told and it may not be the only through line in the show, but I think it would, it's essential. We'd be remiss not to talk about it and look right. into it. Well, if you look at uh, close to 18 months, um, High school proms were put on hold. Gatherings were put on hold. Um, going to school was put on hold. My, my daughter spent a year at home uh, learning in front of a laptop, while some who ventured out wore masks and mm -hmm. to, to sort of be distant from the interactions that they viewed on a computer. If, if the parents weren't there to help them uh, sort of um, develop through that whole process, who knows? psychologically what that's going to do to the children who may not have had laptops right that's and there's plenty of them i'm sure that didn't yeah. that just as a void those time that time period may just register as a void in their life because you know kids change at a different rate even yeah. if they're even whatever than, than adults of course because we're kind of done our thing and and that's part of it too that there's so many moments that had to basically just get voided out because there was nobody to receive them nobody to react to them for right. these kids and so now they have to just pick up like nothing ever happened and there's a lot there so that, is a lot. that is a lot and uh but you know kids are resilient <laughs> uh, we always talk about how children are resilient at least we hope in some cases they are but in this case yeah. i think they will be and the whole nation experienced it um you know you look at the dynamics of our workforce now yeah jobs are plentiful mainly because people have not returned back to work and so yeah well they actually saw we can do it this way why are we doing it the other way yeah. i don't blame them yeah. you know yeah, yeah. absolutely <laughs> Well, if, if you just tuned in to hear us uh, here on Bring It On, we are having a wonderful conversation with Daniel Bruce, who's part of the creative team of Resilience Productions located here in Bloomington, Indiana. And she's joining us to talk about 
uh, her wonderful insights into her life's journey in the arts and her future vision for Resilience Productions. And Resilience Productions, once again, is comprised of Danielle Bruce, uh, Dr. Gladys Devane, and bringing on contributor Liz Mitchell. In the final, I would say, 15 minutes that we have, uh, we talk about life journey, we talk about challenges and triumph, we talk about confronting obstacles and persevering, and we talk about how life has prepared us for some of the major challenges that we'll ever confront. Uh, I am aware, and we have talked before we went live, about a challenge that is confronting you now, that I am just saying you are triumphing over. But if you'd like to share with our audience some of the challenges that now uh, are uh, coming against Danielle Bruce. Well, um, I'll speak specifically about the biggest one that's, and interestingly enough, I'll say, um, maybe the things I'd gone through in my life before this point has made this not the most devastating challenge in my life, which I'm grateful for as well. And no, I was diagnosed with breast cancer in the beginning of February of this year. And then they found that it was in the lymph nodes and, and then possibly could have been in the bone, but fortunately it's not. And so that's great news, but it's, um, was a definite, uh, it was, it was shocking. It was very shocking. And, you know, you think, you know, your body, you think, you know, and you're taking care of yourself and it, it's, and it's really at the end of the day, it may not be about any of that. You know, I mean, yes, you should take care of your body. You should eat healthy. You should get sleep. You should do all these things. That's a great thing to, to aspire to, but we not, maybe are not in charge of what happens and when it happens, you know what I mean? And so I think rather than um, being angry and blaming and victimizing, I just was, I just looked at it like wellness and healness start in the same place. And um, we've mentioned my sister and she has been, beyond remarkable as a support and a caretaker and just so loving and so right there has a lot of traits I don't have, which are very helpful right now. <laughs> she's very organized and she's so competent and um, just really on the ball in every way, which has allowed me to really just take my energy and heal, you know, and again, not everybody is so fortunate. And Gladys has been enormous, enormous support. So has Liz and Jim, Gladys and Jean and Liz and Jim. I'm so grateful to them. And we've I mean, we see them, my sister and I both, as a family, you know, as our family. And it's been huge to go through this, which a lot of people would not see, uh, find ways to be so positive about, you know. And I think some people look at me like, are you, are you just spinning this for my benefit? And it's like, no, I really, I'm very grateful. There's, if not, if I'm not learning something from this and gaining something positive from this somehow, then it's all just pain. And I'm just not going to, I'm not good with that. I'm not going to settle right. for that. Right. <laughs> and so, yes, it's challenging and yes, it's scary at times, but. Again, I just don't want to operate out of fear right, either because right. that's a bad place to be. Bad decisions get made when that happens. Right. I oh, yeah. And, and fear mobilizes, and, and we know that we should not ever function out of a state of fear. Right. One of the greatest things that we could ever do is understand what we're going through, which then mm -hmm. helps us to cope and, and overcome it. Um, I, I, I marvel at how for the last, oh, say, 45 minutes we've talked, and you've been so upbeat and just uh, passionate about resilience. But then, um, then I look at the title resilience, you know, look at the definition of resilience. Um, I think when resilience was created, it talked about how we as, let's just say we as African-Americans have been resilient through the face of so many things and, and the pressures and this and the other. And then taking stories of individuals singularly who have been resilient through some of these challenges that life hands us because life ain't fair. And now, well, now, and talking about resilience now, and in some respects, where you've learned from what you created. That's a great way to put it. Boy, that's and, a beautiful way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the characters that have come to life uh, through the written word and, and through thespian act, uh, thespian art, uh, you're drawing from. And uh, you're more than a conqueror. So I, 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 I thank you for being open and sharing that. 
Um, looking ahead with resilience, and uh, do you think that um, something struck me when you said that the women who were on a team and the Monroe County Jail helped to write or to contribute to some of the projects? Will you work? Will you work to reach out to some segments that um, can really bring voice to some of the stories that you're putting together? That is our goal. That is absolutely our goal, especially if we work with stories of the of the now in the present. Mm-hmm. You know, we were very lucky working with Dan Lodge Regal, Glenda working with Beth Lodge Regal, uh, who they're they were the ones that coordinated this, and it was actually on Glenda's idea to possibly explore some of those stories that came that wound up in sentences. And it was an incredible. I'm so glad we did because I didn't even know that that group existed. And it's an incredibly progressive, wonderful avenue for these women, not just therapeutically but just they actually have evidence of their thoughts and their work creatively. And I think that's really, that, that moves people in a direction that sticks with them and it's really positive. And so I was so thrilled to be a part of that and, um, and to give them a stage for that. You know, that was, that was pretty amazing. And, and, we, and what we got with that experience was actually pretty raw. You know, I, I imagine now if we went back and talked to them, there could be something much more finalized and finished and then we wouldn't, there would be no experiment with that at all but i'd love to see that happen especially what bloomington's going through right now which is unique for bloomington and it's challenging and i think that there's opportunity all over the place to work with people and um cultivate an understanding that we don't have right now maybe if we were able to tell these stories a little differently when i say when i say bloomington indiana creates topics what comes to mind what type of topics do you see when I say Bloomington, Indiana. Now, we both live here. Yes, we, we both, do. We both, we both see things on a daily, mm-hmm. weekly basis. Sure. And you're probably driving down the street thinking, you know what, that would be a great story. Or, oh, all I the mean, time. See it all everywhere. I, actually, I do that everywhere, though. I, I do it at the line Kroger. I'm a serial line. I do it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Everything, everything's theater. That's all I'll say. It has the potential to be. Um, I do think that our homeless population, mm-hmm. the advent of this, home, of the, this whole shift in um, Bloomington's no longer breaking away. And we all know that. That's, and we understand that. Um, and I don't think anyone is expecting it to stay that way. That was a really unique time that was very idyllic. Life is diff- was different in the whole country, though. Let's start, start there. So, you know, Bloomington could be that town and be almost painted that way. And then now where we are, we are a product absolutely of what this country is doing to itself, to each other. Um, and it is tragic in some regard that we are so unprepared to work and deal with it is the thing I think. Not that it's happening, that it's, we're not prepared to deal with it. And um, I would love to see something inspired come out of this, something creative come out of this and, and be able to, and I'm not sure how that's gonna manifest yet, but I, I'm always thinking about that. And it's interesting you even asked it as a question because I don't know what I'm thinking exactly, but there are moments and there are sparks and there are ideas and there are pieces right now, but I know that there's no better way to, um, resolve and solve a lot of things than to create something and so i'm i'm hopeful you can't can't throw you can't throw money per se at a problem uh yeah i mean yes money does enable change it does provide to a degree uh, degree, sure yeah but then you got to get to the root cause is it that's uh, it is it um mental Mm -hmm. Uh, is it uh just someone's background or are these say in this case with homeless are they falling through the crack or how are they falling through the crack what can we do? But the thing that really just compounds it is that the path we drive every day takes us through that community. You can't escape it. Uh, the way That's right. The way Walnut and college are designed. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. And it's every amazing day. to me that it is now become a backdrop 
to a totally different existence. And the juxtaposition is, is a little frightening because that cannot be something seeing people in that condition, whether it's because of mental illness or drug abuse or whatever, no one, no one looks forward to being homeless. We've got to understand with compassion here that that is a, a, a moment in someone's life that they may call the lowest moment ever, you know, and at the very same time, how do I help them and be effective in helping them, you know? And, and so there's a very, because when the discrepancy, let's say, take socioeconomically is that great, what do you do but throw money at it? Because you've got to find another avenue and find another way. And it, and it may make, you have to work a lot harder. So if we can be maybe a facilitator in exposure and awareness, I think that's probably will be our greatest role in that. And that would be something because it, then people, and we also work and we're very, very fortunate to be under the auspices of the UU Church Racial Justice Task Force. And they are, they're way ahead of us on that. And they're always thinking about avenues for that. And so we wound up being um, nurtured by an incredible organization that way. Do you see opportunities for collaboration uh, theatrically? Well, we have already when we did um, this, the follow up to Resilient uh, Indiana's Untold Story, when we did Stories of Monroe, we did it at the UU Church. That was actually um, their offer to us to, would you like to do it here? And it was what a gift to work in that incredible sanctuary. Now, technically, it was hard to cover the most gigantic round uh, stained glass window ever that's 20 feet above my head, but we did it, <laughs> you know. But other than that, it was a really beautiful experience, a very different kind of space to play in for any actor, you know, and for an audience to experience it too. That show was largely projected, so it was actually quite a success to do it there in that space where you weren't confined. But not not always doesn't always work out so great, you know. Mm -hmm. But that was a wonderful experience, and and the staff and everyone at UU, from the congregation to the staff, do you want to talk about supportive? Have been a dream. Have been really really interested and invested, and great contributors to. I mean, from content to like, Guy Lofman was a character in Stories of Monroe, and it's also presently <laughs> a, a, a huge con you know, a member of the congregation at. Uh, at UU. So it's so funny, I'm sure for him, especially to see his life, a bit of a piece of his life on the stage. It's like, wow, that's, that, that was me. And, you and know, he's, he's been a major force with NAACP as well. There you go. I mean, yes, absolutely. And is a force period. And it's great to know and have and historically should be remembered. And <laughs> there's no right. doubt in my mind. Well, uh, you know, one thing we talked about collaborations, we have not we haven't talked. We maybe touched a little bit when you talk about IUPUI, but we have not talked about Indiana University Bloomington. Mm -hmm. collaborations um have you pursued that have they presented themselves or you know it's funny i i was um for quite some time on the theater circle board so i had access to their season and a lot of the faculty and directors and, and guest directors and people coming in and saw the way that they were shaping their theater department my, which my sister graduated from and so i have tremendous respect for them and know that that is constantly changing you know you're getting in a whole new batch of undergrad and especially grad and then faculty in their case there's been a lot of changes recently i think that if it presented itself i know we would absolutely entertain the idea it's figuring out what can we do for each other that we don't already do for ourselves and um do you foresee writing workshops and conferences that resilience productions will host hmm that's a great idea that's a good question um, I don't think we're opposed to it. That's for sure. I, I would love to see that in the kind of an abbreviated way in some in some way, because I, and this is me, this may be me selfishly saying this, but this is me. I'd like to see us keep working toward the theater, doing theater and getting it to the stage. I love the component you're talking about. However, I don't want to see that derail us in any way in telling the stories we need to tell for the masses, you know? And so, because um, I do think that in it, because of the nature of the stories, there's already a workshop in some way. There's certainly in the talk that you know, and so I, I want to just keep the balance 
or keep the, you know, the focus getting it to the stage. And, you know, I, I do think there's breaks we'll want to take. And that may be what we should be doing with our time when we do take the breaks. Yeah. yeah. You know, maybe, um, oh, maybe a, a pool of, of individuals to serve in some capacity as, um, those that brainstorm ideas or something, um, not advisory. I mean, that to me, that, yeah, no, absolutely. Like a think tank for know, what we like do. Think yeah. tank for, for the for future, theater. <laughs> future aspirations for, you know, for uh, resilience productions. And, and finally, uh, the last segment I want to talk about is, uh, someone who's listening right now may be thinking, boy, they're doing what I've always dreamt of doing. Or I'd like to meet them right now. <laughs> how can I, how can I connect with them? Because I have ideas that I've, I've made attempts to do this and the other. So the up and coming, or maybe not so up and coming, but someone who's um, lived life, mm-hmm. but now wants to share, you know, remembrances and, and, and history of their own. Yeah. How do they reach out? What do they do? What would you advise them to do? Well, you can go to our website, resilienceproductions.org. That's one way. Mm-hmm. And um, that would probably be the best way because on that, you can get our emails. You can contact us individually. You can write an email to us and uh, just to resilience in general. Um, it's, it's a tiny bit under construction because I think we're adding some videos into above the shows oh, because okay. that um, we're very lucky to have a great videographer that works with us pretty consistently, David Goditis, Goditis Productions. He's amazing. And so we're getting all that material back around together and we're trying to edit it so it can so people can kind of see because, you know, theater's tricky. You don't really you're not there in person and you don't have a good, you know, video of it, a videographer working on it. You don't have the same experience. There's nothing even could be more dissimilar. Right, you know what right. Right. And that's the bummer. And I, for the longest time, was so reluctant to even do videos of anything as I thought, it better look like what we did on stage somewhere in the right. video. And, right. you know, and David's really gifted him. And I'm so grateful for, to him for that because, yeah, it's, it, there is, we do, I do recognize the show we did. So mm-hmm. they can reach us on the website. I think that's the smartest way and kind of get a sampling of what we're doing. Nationally, uh, are you pursuing grants? Uh, mm-hmm. Are you looking mm-hmm. at foundations out there? Are you... You know, some are offering, hey, if, if you've done work in this area, we want to hear from you. Are you pursuing that or is there time to pursue that? Or do you want to? No, we absolutely who's... are. Okay. That's a big one now. And Liz is, is spearheading that project because just in her background and her, she's a wonderful person to connect with people. And she's also too doing, in, in terms of our kind of breakdown and what we're responsible for, she's dealing with the marketing and the history and those kind of right where grants kind of fuse those two worlds together. And so um, I think that. But we also have our ears peeled all the time about what's happening with grants and, and sure. where it's possible, what avenues are possible. Because, you know, we both, well, and Gladys, too, we've all discovered that we were very lucky to have the kind of community support we did to get that first show produced. No grant at all. Actually, we, that was the whole reason why the show got produced is that they didn't get the grant they went for. And the community said, you got to tell these stories. That's a lot of love right there. And right. so I think we feel the obligation to pay back in every show the, in, with great thanks and, and gratitude that they made the first one possible, which gave us the momentum to even go on, you know, and that's huge. And a big, big supporter that really, really gets us riled up and inspired is Malcolm Abrams at Bloom. It's, he's a remarkable supporter and had was a force really that said, you guys have to tell these stories. And it was, it was huge to everybody. And the best thing that ever happened, I think the resilience was that they didn't get that grant ironically, but now we're like super aware grants exist. There's money out there, you know, and these stories need you mentioned Bloom Magazine, and, and I was thinking during our conversation that Bloom has really put together some wonderful articles on resilience, and has they, they've done a wonderful job of profiling uh, just what you do. So if anyone can get to the archives of Bloom Magazine, one of Bloomington's uh, best told uh, or best experienced uh, projects, it's really successful. Um, I'm just so impressed with it. I really am. Uh, but, you know, reach out and online, I believe you can go online and, and access their archives. So, yeah. well, we have about a minute left. 
And if there's something that we've not touched on, if you want to share with us uh, your thoughts and impressions on something, please do. You asking me, you said? I am asking you. I'm giving okay. you the floor. I have a question for you, Clarence. Okay. So when are we going to get you on stage? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'll answer it this way. You, you've already secured me for some voiceover talent, which yes, I uh, found interesting. And um, <laughs> um, I kind of miss, I kind of missed out on an opportunity. I think a good friend of mine, a former Bloomington, I mean, a bringing on contributor, Cornelius Wright, bumped me out of one particular opportunity because his voice resonates a lot better than, than mine. But uh, I tell you, um, uh, you know, I, hey, I need to get an agent first, I guess. And, and Well, that's exactly right. I think, yeah. you know, you know, you go to dot <laughs> org, you email us. I got just the thing for you. I want you to know. <laughs> just thinking about it. But you know, it would, it, it, you're wonderful to work with, on it, especially in like, having an interview with you is just a blast and wonderful and so it would be you have a great voice my goodness there's a guess a given you have such a great voice there's plenty of voiceover work and grants for it too i want you to know <laughs> well for those who've just tuned in yes i've been put on the spot and uh, <laughs> i don't mind it uh this lady is remarkable along with her her entourage of just professionals uh, uh dr gladys devane and of course our very own liz mitchell we do want to thank you, Daniel, for being a part of this conversation tonight and for that creative team that I just mentioned at Resilience Productions. And thank you for the wonderful insights into your life's journey in the arts, your future vision for Resilience Productions, and then just opening up and sharing a little bit of your personal uh, triumphs and challenges that uh, you are overcoming right now. And, and I said that uh, you're more than overcoming, and, and you both and I, both you and I, uh, faith-based people. You know, we are overcomers through Christ, and I wish you the very best. And I am keeping you in my thoughts, and you are a persevering, resilient individual. Uh, Bring it on has an open submission policy, so if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bring it on at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything uh, of, of impact for the African-American community. So please send that information directly to the Bring It On staff, or if you want additional information about a calendar item that you've heard tonight, contact us at bringingon at wfhb.org. And Bring It On's executive producer is yours truly. Our assistant producer is Liz Mitchell, and our show consultant and WFHB News Department director is Kate Young, program engineer is Chantal LaFontaine, and our original theme music was created by Jamel Effiam with additional background tracks by David Baker. Once again, I'm Clarence Boone. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 6 p.m. for another edition of Bring It On right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.